This is Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. Construction Law Today is a podcast about current topics in American construction law. Your host for Construction Law Today is David Suchar. Our podcast, Construction Law Today, began in July 2019 and is now in its third season. In our first two seasons, my good friend Buzz Tarlow produced 25 episodes on a variety of timely and interesting topics in the field of construction law. In our upcoming season, I expect to produce similar podcasts at the rate of about one new podcast per month. As always, we welcome your questions and comments. Please let us know what we can do to improve the podcast. The contact information for Construction Law Today is found at the end of this podcast. On behalf of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law, thanks for listening. Welcome back to Construction Law Today. Today, we'll be talking about the intersection of the construction industry with cutting-edge technological advancements in transportation. The use of autonomous vehicles in construction has the potential to transform many aspects of the industry and raises some interesting legal and business questions to consider. Our great guest today is Tony Lathrop, a partner in the Transportation, Infrastructure, and Logistics Group at the law firm of Moore & Van Allen PLLC, based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Tony is also a partner in MVA's litigation group, and he's served in the leadership on the North Carolina Board of Transportation since 2017. He is also former chair of the Trial Network, a group of great trial law firms that my firm and his firm are part of, and I'm a former chair of that organization too. So that's how Tony and I know each other. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. As am I. So, Tony, before we dive into the substance of our discussion, can you give us an overview of your law practice? Yes, sir. I've been a corporate trial attorney for over 30 years, and my practice encompasses complex commercial litigation, as well as transportation, land use, zoning and development, planning, and land condemnation. I'm a litigation partner, as you mentioned, and I also lead the Transportation Infrastructure Logistics Group, which is a multidisciplinary group of transactional, regulatory, and litigation attorneys that focus on transportation infrastructure and logistics in a wide variety of transportation modes, and you know, regionally, nationally, and globally. So we've got folks from our IP group, litigation, environmental business and finance, government investigations, privacy and data security in that group. And the practice is multimodal, air, motor, truck, rail, shipping on the sea as well. So it's a wide ranging practice. Can you give us some examples of the types of projects that you've worked on? Sure. I personally, in our firm, we're fortunate to have a really diverse portfolio of clients So it keeps it interesting. Personally, I've defended international manufacturers of vehicles, aircraft, and medical devices against product liability and catastrophic accident claims. I've represented national real estate companies in connection with easements and rights of way involving government public works projects. I've handled shipping contract disputes involving freight shippers, carriers, and brokers. 
And I've also done some government public affairs work for a national infrastructure and engineering firm. Those are just a few examples. Very good. I know from following you on LinkedIn that outside of your legal practice, you also serve on the NCDOT Board of Transportation. Can you tell us about your experience at NCDOT? Yep. I absolutely love that experience. It's been a fantastic complement to my legal practice. Transportation and infrastructure are critical to economic development, economic opportunity, and the health and opportunities for people, as well as businesses and communities. And this is a very exciting time to be involved in transportation in North Carolina. There's a lot going on. You were appointed to the board of that organization in 2017, correct? Yes. The governor of North Carolina appointed me in 2017 and then reappointed me in 2020. And I represent the geographic district that includes my city, Charlotte. But on the board, I also chair the finance committee, and I've chaired it ever since I joined in 2017. And through doing that, I'm also a member of what's called the Financial Planning Committee, which is sort of a C-suite kind of financial operating type committee. And it's an $8 billion agency. And we have in North Carolina, believe it or not, more state-maintained road miles than any other state in the country except Texas. We're number two. Wow. And I also served, we had a Blue Ribbon Commission on Revenue called the NC First Commission. And as the finance chair of the Board of Transportation, I was on that as well, looking at newer, better ways to ensure our revenue, you know, in these times when fuel efficiency, we're heavily dependent on gas taxes, as are a lot of states, and fuel efficiency and electric vehicles are starting to erode those revenues. And so we were looking at how to deal with those disruptions and keep a robust revenue stream into the future. Sure. Now let's talk about what brings us together today. So you and I have known each other for many years through the trial network. And I saw you give a presentation at one of those conferences on legal developments and considerations in connection with autonomous transportation. And that was an an eye-opening presentation to see all of those advancements and the broad applications that are in play these days with autonomous vehicles. Yep. It's been great knowing you for so many years through that network, which is what brought us together today. It's really eye-opening to see the impact of AV technology and what it's starting to do, the impact it's starting to have. There's a rapid transformation and disruption in the transportation sector, and we're at an inflection point. So the key is how to act now, right now, in real time. We're seeing innovation, strategizing, business shaping their products, regulatory developments. It's time for companies and their legal counsel to really take stock and evaluate their place and how they fit in in these times of disruption. Before we talk about the construction industry and how autonomous vehicles play into the construction industry and developing technology there, can you tell us, generally speaking, when we talk about autonomous vehicles, what are we talking about? Well, it's really the technology that you used to see in science fiction movies, and it seemed kind of far-fetched, but we're actually getting much, much closer to a reality in which the use of autonomous transportation and the infrastructure that relates to that is going to impact almost every person in business in some way. And 
it goes far beyond just autonomous cars. There's application for autonomous transportation for trucks, drones, robots, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, cargo ships, tractors, mining and construction equipment. And so these kinds of autonomous vehicles or equipment can be used in a wide range of industries and services, you know, shipping, logistics, agriculture, mining, construction of buildings and infrastructure, food deliveries, local deliveries, rideshare services, public transportation, and more. There's a lot of sectors that it's going to touch. My understanding, Tony, is that there are varying degrees of automation and there are ways of describing those degrees by number. Is that right? Yes. It basically is essentially a scale that describes how autonomous a vehicle or piece of equipment really is. It goes from zero to not autonomous at all to five, which is completely autonomous. So level zero to two have features that we're used to seeing in cars on the road now, you know, emergency braking, blind spot warnings, lane departure warnings, some steering or braking assistance, lane centering, adaptive cruise control, stuff like that. The next levels, three and five, are where we talk about a vehicle being able to drive itself to varying degrees with or maybe ultimately without any human intervention. So that's roughly what the levels are. In terms of the evolution of this technology, are we where we thought we would be right now in terms of the implementation of autonomous technology? Probably not. It's been more complicated and slower than was projected. Some predictions were level five fully autonomous vehicles would be available by 25, but that's not expected to be the case now, at least till 2030. There's been some success in testing and deployment for ride-sharing services, but there have been even some setbacks there. For example, there was an unfortunate incident in San Francisco involving a GM cruise AV. So it's coming along, but it's just tough, especially in an urban setting with a car, for an autonomous computer essentially to deal with all of the variables. You know, you got people walking, you got weather, you got sunlight, you got all kinds of variables that our brains can process reasonably quickly. I recall reading about the GM Cruise incident in San Francisco. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Cruise had uh, gone through testing and permitting in California and got a permit for driverless cars in June of 22 that allowed it to have fully driverless robo-taxis in San Fran on a limited basis. And that was expanded in August of 23 to be 24-7 throughout the city. But then there was an accident, and I'm not intimately familiar with it, but I know it involved a passenger that got dragged somehow by an AV, and it caused the state of California to say, wait a minute. So they put the permits on hold for the fully autonomous cruise vehicles for now. And we're also not as far along as expected in the construction industry. There's a lot of drones being implemented and other things, but heavy construction equipment is not there yet. You mentioned this one incident, some delays in getting the technology going. What factors have contributed to these delays in implementation of the technology? I alluded to some of them a minute ago. You know, when you're talking about a busy public road, There's just so many variables there 
that I think the technology hasn't been able to be developed yet where it can adapt in real time like a human can to all the things that are coming at you when you're on a busy public street. And it also applies to construction sites. You know, while a construction site can be a more controlled environment, they're pretty dynamic as well with a lot of different kind of stuff going on, you know, a variety of machines doing different tasks every day, different people moving on and off as the project evolves and the site moves through the different stages of construction. So it's coming along, but those are the kinds of factors that are impacting delay. My understanding is that the mining industry in particular has successfully used these autonomous vehicle technologies for some time. Can you tell us about that? Yes. And the root of that is the contrast between the mining site and like a construction site. It's really almost as big a difference as you look at between a construction site and a busy city street. You know, mining sites are much more amenable to autonomous technology because they're long term usually. You know, they've got permanent roads. A lot of the work is underground. It's usually less populated. There's less people coming and going. Yep. And it's been going on for a long time. I mean, for example, Caterpillar has run prototypes and demonstrations of autonomous mining trucks several decades ago. And in the most recent decade, Caterpillar's deployed a fleet of about 600 autonomous hauling trucks. So, you know, if you've got a truck that's like hauling rock or dirt all day on the same fixed route, back and forth and back and forth, it's easier, less difficult for an autonomous vehicle. And that's been pretty successful. Their fleet, Cat says, drives over 90,000 miles a day without a human driver, which is a long way. I mean, that's like four times around the world. That is a long way. So in mining, it's taken off. So although there's ways to go in the construction industry, let's talk a bit about the use of autonomous vehicles in the construction industry can you tell us about some of the interesting current applications for autonomous vehicles in construction? Absolutely. One of the most interesting and furthest along applications is the use of drones. We use them a lot at NCDOT for road and bridge inspections, you know, and to help manage the progress of projects. So you can conduct inspections, you can manage quality control. Drones can access difficult-to-reach areas on a construction site and can take pictures and videos, and they can carry in other equipment like imaging and heat-seeking equipment that can be integrated with mapping technology. So it allows for more safe, efficient, precise, and cost-effective monitoring and evaluation of projects as they progress. And drones contribute to site safety in more ways than just eliminating risk for humans. They can detect potential hazards like gas leaks, structural weaknesses, or unsecured areas, for example. Aside from drones, what are some other applications of autonomous vehicle technology that we're seeing in the construction industry? We're seeing several iterations of remote and semi-autonomous options that are being deployed, like excavators, dump trucks, bulldozers, and compactors. And some of the companies are Taleo, uh, Safe AI, and Cat, Caterpillar, that have been working in this space to bring the construction site to the next level of autonomous operation. There's also retrofitting of existing machines as well that's going on. We'll be right back with some more Construction Law Today. 
Welcome back to Construction Law Today. So, Tony, when we broke, we were talking about the retrofitting of some already existing equipment and using that equipment in, in a more autonomous or semi-autonomous vehicle way. Can you tell us about some other technology that's being used in the construction industry that does more of those things, retrofitting existing vehicles to be autonomous? Yes. So we don't have to wait for standalone autonomous vehicles to be developed. There's some companies that are moving the ball forward with technology that can be deployed now. One example is Taleo announced late last year that Tomahawk Construction would become the first customer to deploy what it calls supervised autonomy capabilities on an active job site. So they can retrofit just about any piece of construction equipment and give it remote and semi-autonomous functionality. And so the plan is for Tomahawk to use it with dump trucks to move material on a residential community construction site. Caterpillar has been working on a semi-autonomous compact track loader, CTL for short, and they're designing it in a way that the autonomous technology can be retrofitted to existing machines so customers don't have to buy brand new ones. That seems like a great way to approach this problem, to incrementally develop these technologies that can use existing vehicles and functional machines and to make them more autonomous. When we're talking about these autonomous vehicles, Tony, we're not just talking about versions of what we traditionally would consider vehicles, right? That most people would consider cars or other machines. Yes, that's right. In fact, you know, you tend to think of trucks or construction equipment or loaders, et cetera, but there's actually certain kinds of robots that are starting to be used as well. For example, a semi-autonomous Mason or SAM is designed by Construction Robotics. So that works beside a person a brick mason to help lay bricks. And this can create an enormous increase in productivity. That technology has been available for a number of years. Another one is called Spot, which is a construction robot that actually looks like a dog. And it can go into really difficult areas to access and autonomously take video, images, and such, and perform laser scanning for mapping and such. They've been used in lots of countries that the spots have. Another example is a drywall finishing robot, which can cut the time to finish drywall significantly. So those are just several examples. It seems like it's easy to see the benefits of the autonomous technology. And some things I've heard before are that it increases safety potentially because you have fewer workers that are needed to perform potentially dangerous tasks, increased productivity like you just talked about, things that can be operated for longer periods of time and managed with fewer operators. Can you tell us about some of the other benefits in the construction industry that can be realized by autonomous vehicle technology? Yeah, there's lots of benefits. Workers can work remotely from the vehicle and manage it with a remote operating deal. You see that with drones, but this is coming into play with lots of other autonomous vehicles. So it makes for more efficiency in the face of labor shortages. It can increase safety and productivity, as I've alluded to. It can make things more precise. 
you know, with consistent and sophisticated technology. They can get real-time data collection to use in mapping and surveying and just in monitoring job site progress. So there's a lot of benefits. Before we talk about some of the legal issues that are implicated by this technology, can you tell us how you might expect to see the construction industry transformed by this autonomous technology in the future? Well, one area is around the ability for the AV equipment and vehicles and such to communicate with each other and with infrastructure. So, uh, for example, drones are on site doing surveys and transmitting data, and they can communicate with vehicles on the site or other machines you know, to help guide progress in real time, or perhaps to facilitate the use of augmented reality along with autonomous technology, or perhaps being able to operate multiple sites simultaneously from remote locations. So the communication aspect has a lot of possibilities there. Let's talk about some of the legal issues involved. So from a legal standpoint, what are some of the issues or problems that can arise from the application of this technology? It starts with, for in-house counsel and their business partners in-house, to really look hard first at their business and see where the AVs fit into the particular business strategy. So is it going to be innovation-based or application or adaptation that's available? And how's the developing technology going to fit in the specific business needs? And so then that can give rise to legal and policy issues. You know, there's regulatory compliance, just the development of regs. There's a lot of it. There's not even regs that are there yet. How do notions of safety and liability come into play, intellectual property, and then companies that are making these equipments? You know, if they get ahead of themselves, they don't want to do that, you know, to get into securities fraud problems or false advertising. So. And then there's data privacy issues, perhaps. So those are just a few of the legal landmines or areas that folks are going to need to look at. You mentioned regulatory compliance, and that's certainly a consideration that touches every part of the construction industry. What are some other ways that folks should contemplate that regulatory compliance will play a role in the AV context? Since it's still developing, it's going to require attention especially for in-house legal folks in the industries to pay attention to how the regs are developing because some of them might not even be there yet. But that's a double-edged sword because while it can be uncertain, it can also be an opportunity. So not only you know, are you keeping abreast of developments, but there's openings to actually participate in developing regs to shape the environment. So there's business opportunities there to collaboratively help the business. So if you're flying drones, have you got proper authorization? In the U.S., it's the Federal Aviation Administration regulates drones and unmanned aerial systems. There's probably going to be some state and local regs, too. Another example, autonomous trucks moving materials on job sites. If they got to go off the site, are you in compliance with laws regarding use on public roads in that area? And that's going to vary somewhat by state there. So you got to look at that type of thing. If you're designing or retrofitting equipment, there's standards for designs under ANSI, A-N-S-I, the American National Standards Institute. Or uh, 
ISO, the International Standardization Organization, there's both opportunity and uncertainty. Are you in compliance or are there even regs out there? Sounds like a lot to think about on the regulatory compliance front as these technologies develop. What about intellectual property issues? It seems like those would be a natural concern for use of these developing autonomous vehicle technologies. Anytime you've got hot innovation trends, that's going to lead to the kinds of IP disputes that we're familiar with, you know, patent infringements, trade secret theft protection, trademark infringement. And since this arena is a breeding ground for tech innovation, you know, cars, trucks, drones, radars, cameras, the software that helps the AVs, quote, make decisions in real time. So it's going to require a lot of hands-on collaboration and working together with legal counsel to navigate these potential challenges and to protect your own IP while you're at the same time pushing the business towards innovation goals and the particular strategies of companies. So it's going to be pretty hands-on. Another, I think, pretty obvious concern in terms of legal issues is probably safety and liability analysis, standards of care that may change based on the developing technology. Can you talk a bit about those issues? Probably the biggest conceptual question is how or how much is responsibility or liability going to shift to the vehicle itself and the manufacturers of the vehicle's components, software, et cetera, stuff like that, as opposed to on the person or the human, quote, driving it, operating it, since they're going to be doing less of that. It's going to be much more autonomous. So how is that going to shift the standards of care and liability? Product liability will probably be one of the analytical frameworks that you're starting with, but it gets more complicated when the vehicles are communicating with each other, when the vehicles are communicating with the infrastructure that's around them. In particular, for this construction setting, how does that impact construction defects? I mean, say you got an autonomous vehicle that's going in and looking for quality control and misses it. Where's liability on that? Um, There's questions that are going to have to be just probed into. It was interesting to hear you mention before, in terms of potential legal issues, securities fraud and false advertising. Can you tell us about the potential issues that can arise there? As I mentioned, there's inherent risks in innovation around protecting intellectual property, navigating regulatory environments. But when you're competing, say you're really trying to bring a, an innovative design into the mainstream and you want to be the first or you want to be the best, you've got to balance that with judgment regarding how you represent that, how you hold that out to the world. If you get out over your skis about the capabilities or performance expectations of the new technology, it can cause problems. If it doesn't measure up or there's issues about that, it can lead to shareholder allegations of misrepresentations, for example. We've seen litigation out there already, like a company allegedly making misrepresentations regarding autonomous aerial vehicles and another one where an autonomous truck tech developer didn't disclose safety concerns leading up to an IPO. 
So regulators are looking at representations around these innovative products. I'm sure there are also data security and privacy concerns. Can you speak to that? In particular, in my NCDOT world, as there's getting to be more and more potential data with the infrastructure and the autonomous vehicles, you know, we're going to be relying on transmission collection and analysis, a lot of it in real time, of exorbitant, exponentially huge volumes of data. And the vehicles and the infrastructure and machines will be communicating with each other and with the infrastructure. So it'll be just a constant torrent of data. They'll be looking at human biometrics, location data, construction sites. There'll be all kinds of information about what's going on on the site, including confidential information about the project itself. Here are some of the questions that that's going to give rise to, like who has access to the data? Who's responsible for it? Who's responsible for the security of it? Who owns it? How's it going to be used? Where's it going to be stored? Who's it going to be shared with? If you're going to share it, how do you get consent? If there's personal data or biometric data, are there constitutional type concerns around basic constitutional rights regarding collecting and using and accessing data? Those principles need to be considered by companies that are in this space. If they're using it, if they're involved with the collection or using of data, some of these issues can be addressed contractually, but it's just going to require a, a lot of sharp pencils you know, and a lot of real strategic thinking about how to manage that because it's coming and it's actually exciting, especially in my world. If I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of miles of road right of way, that's going to have fiber optic cables in it, facilitating communication and data flow between vehicles and the road and the infrastructure and the exits, all of that. All those questions are going to come up with the data and how it's used. Tony, that's a, quite a bit of information that you've given us over a short period of time. You've been a great guest. Thank you so much for joining us. It's going to be exciting to witness the transformation of the construction industry and other industries, frankly, as autonomous vehicle technology continues to develop. And maybe you'll have to come back and talk about this with us further down the road. So thank you very much for joining us today. I'd love to come back. Thank you very much for having me. You know, any one of these many topics, we could probably expand out into another podcast because it's so dense and there's so much going on. And it's going to be great for infrastructure and construction in the United States and really all over the world as these technologies come to bear. It's just going to be fantastic. So it's exciting to see what's going to happen. Thanks for having me, David. Our pleasure. Thank you again, Tony. You have been listening to Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. All rights relating to this podcast are owned and controlled by the American Bar Association. No reproduction or reuse of this podcast is permissible without the express written consent of the American Bar Association. For more information about Construction Law Today, or if you have any questions or comments, you may contact our host, David Suchar, at david.suchar at maslin.com. Our podcast is produced with the assistance of Peak Recording Studios in Bozeman, Montana. Thank you for listening and look for our next edition of Construction Law Today. Today.